encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. today there is no nathan but um not a whole lot of news to discuss uh polly how you, how you feeling there's not a lot of news there's so much outrage on on the timeline about such little news yeah and it's not all like ownership related either which i guess last week was the time for everyone to have their outrage about that uh it's more, there's some there's it's it's the natural like nothing's happening therefore we blame the glazers right and it's it's not only that nothing's really happening, but it's like, I guess things aren't as exciting as maybe people were hoping they would be. Um, but I don't know what they would expect given the financials and also the way that this club does transfer business. But well, there's two there's two things there is one is the expectations don't match up to reality because we know what the financials are. They right. reported on the financials and then they they spent 10 months. Just being like, well, actually, maybe there's money, and uh, United want this player and want that player and want and that want that player, and Eric Ten Hag wants signings as soon as the window opens, and he wants them in the door tomorrow, etc. That you know they they're, they're reporting of all the things that the fans want to hear, so that they expect something to happen, so that you could flip it and say nothing's happening, aka uh, therefore they are not backing Eric Ten Hag, and then get mad at that, and then report drops of rival team talking to another player. So therefore that means they have signed them. That means get mad. Yeah. And Um, it does not help that it does not help that man United are interested or man United asked to be kept updated is included in every Fabrizio Romano tweet, whether it's about, you know, even if he tweets about something that's not football related at the bottom, he like forgets to delete it. And it just says, man, United has to be kept in the loop. Yeah. And it's happening with two players who seem likely to go to Arsenal, like Declan Rice and then Romeo Lavia uh, from Southampton, who um, is more affordable than Rice and would be a good purchase for Manchester United. But also like if, if that's not someone that Eric Tenag's, you know, wanting to keep tabs on, then it's, it's not going to be a developing situation. Arsenal have some spending room. It's going to be frustrating if they make good signings, um, especially so much spending room. That's what happens when you, that's what happens when you spend years being like, you know what, if we don't qualify for Europe for the next two years, that's okay. We're going to build a team in the meantime. And also um, Chelsea look like they may get some spending room because of some sketchy reasons. Um, yeah, that's that which is, is a whole that'll be a whole nother. That's conversation. a can of worms <laughs> that UEFA really needs to address. Yeah, UEFA's got two problems on their hands right now. They've got two problems on their hands. One is, um, and the Premier League too. One of them is they the Premier League and UEFA needs this, but UEFA also needs it. The Premier League needs those 115 charges against Manchester City to stick. Um, because if they don't, then they're saying, hey, if you have the resources, you don't have to abide by the rules. And you have to think Newcastle won't. 
And you would think if Qatar buys Manchester United, they won't either. That might be music to some fans' ears who, you know, want to win the transfer market every single every single year. The other thing is, yeah, like Chelsea blatantly circumnavigating, circumventing these um these FFP rules. And it shows that they knew this would happen because they wildly went and spent money last year. And then they wildly did it again in January. They never seemed to have any fear about it because, oh, look at that. All of our players are, yeah. are leaving. It's like pretty much nice fees. Which pretty much from the, the one start interesting with... thing is, though, it seems to be coming out of Newcastle's budget. Like Newcastle seemed to be like, no, we can't do anything right now because all of their owner's money is going into the Saudi league domestic yeah. <laughs> affairs. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. We'll probably explore once there's more news on it. But for now, I think it's it's starting to actually get attention. We kind of knew from the contracts that Chelsea under Todd Bailey were going to look at any means necessary to you know, keep up their style of recruitment and spending. But it's, um, it's something that needs to be looked at. And, yeah. And it kind of already exists, though, because City are owned by the City Football Group, and they have clubs all over the place. Now, they don't blatantly launder money in that way. They don't have uh, their Australian team sign. They used to. Uh, remember, uh, Manchester City signed mixed discarude so that NYCFC like didn't have to have a could get rid of their designated player. Yeah. Um. So they, but I think they kind of cracked down on it, and this is not as blatant because it's not the same owner who owns multiple clubs. It's an owner, uh, who has a lot of money invested in the f- fund of an owner of a different co- it's 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 all murky and like where did you allowed this to happen when you basically said yeah. there's no rules about who can own a team and it's gone into this they you know they already changed the rules about player contracts for for ffp reasons after january that it just seems like chelsea are one step ahead of them the entire time and you've got a real problem on your hand because i how do you compete with that? Because a lot of teams aren't going to try. Like, And it's going to get to a point where even even though they are like, you know, with, without shame, spending loads and loads of money on a lot of players who are probably not going to work out as well as players who will work out. Eventually, like you, you just reduce the risk that it won't work out to a low enough percentage because you're able to continue. I don't think you do. Buy I don't think you do players. that because I don't think you reduce the risk that low because Chelsea have been signing players left and right for years now, and most of them don't work out. And yeah. and it 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 did get them a Champions League. They won the Champions League in the COVID year. Um, but they've been completely off of it ever since. I guess you could say last year they finished. The, uh, they they won like eighty points last year, didn't they? I I think it was like an unimpressive, but like better than the rest third place finish. Right. But it was also like way better than if you look at like Chelsea's recent, recent results, it was like way better. Um, yeah. I mean, there was, there was very little fear coming into this past season about Thomas Tuchel and, you know, his, not if you ask a United fan, cause they were all like, well, they signed more players. So obviously they're better. No, that's they what I meant. It, it, it was very, it was very much assumed that Chelsea were like the third between you know Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, and that right. went, that that went that out the window from, very quickly. Yeah, and a lot of that came from they signed a bunch of players, which is what people said in 
2020 when they signed Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and Ben Chilwell and six and Edward Mendy. They had six or seven guys walk through the door and with each and every one, everybody went, well, there you go. Chelsea improved Chelsea strengthened, Chelsea automatically got better. And it's like, hmm, wait until we actually see if these guys are good. And I, I remember, uh, I can go back to my season preview where I wrote about it. And I said, not all these guys are going to be good. I did say Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. I, I think they're the locks, which is funny, but I was like the rest of them, someone's not a bunch of these guys aren't going to be good. And they probably did more harm than damn that more harm than good here. And they, they, they finished sixth again. They won the champions league, but they, but they've been off of it ever since. And they've, they've been yeah. just trying to clear out the players from that window. Yeah. There's very little sense of direction with Chelsea. Um, but, you know, if, if they're able to just move players on willy nilly to the Saudi league, uh, that kind of changes things. But uh, moving to Man United news. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about Manchester United as a seller. Um, today, obviously, Zidanek Ball moving to FC Utrecht. Um, rumors that Fulham are still in pursuit of Fred. Um, and all of this kind of... Uh, you, you talked a little bit about frustration on the timeline. There are some people who are like, 20 million for Fred, why not just pay it? Or, you know, maybe that's too little, it's too much, whatever. It seems like, uh, you know, the Fred discussion will be its own thing uh, whenever he does or doesn't leave, but... It, it seems like United as a selling club is going to continually be this problem, especially when it comes to their academy players, which we've talked about on this podcast before. United used to be a team that kind of like was able to push its academy graduates out to the rest of the Premier League with without too much problem and make a decent profit off of it. Uh, you know, they weren't going to sell anyone for outrageous fees, but now... I mean, this is several years in a row now where we're seeing some prospects just leave for free. Um, and I, I think it says a lot about the academy, for one, which we've talked about before, but also, you know, what we're going to talk about today. Manchester United are not very good at marketing the, their players <laughs> or, or, you know, finding deals that uh, actually benefit them as a club. Yeah. And it, it goes back. I think part of it is, the the game evolved, the game got better, and the academy didn't. We know the academy was underfunded for the last decade. We know during the Van Gaal years, it wasn't getting talent. It wasn't there was there was there were two issues during the Van Gaal. The Van Gaal promoted everyone from the academy, and only two guys stuck. Only only Lingard, only Rashford. They they really got a good one. In Marcus Rashford, the rest of them, Borthwick Jackson, Donald Love, Patty McNair, terrible players, not Premier League quality. Now, you can go back to 2010, um, 2009, 2010, 2011, and you look at the, the bottom of the league, and it was filled with United graduates, academy graduates, Craig Cashcard, and uh, um, there was one from Burnley who was kind of a a POS players like that. So I mean, half of the, yeah. It, it, didn't Lester win the title with like three Academy graduates on their team? Danny uh, Simpson, yeah, Danny Delay. Simpson. Um, there was Richie a midfielder. Yeah. Danny Trinkwater. Yeah. 
they they ended up there because they were at the bottom of the, the bottom of the league. And that just doesn't happen anymore. And that might just be because, well, the league got better. And they're like, well, these United Academy graduates were never that good. And they were underfunded. So during the Van Gogh years and before that, it's what city came in and threw so much money into their Academy that it's, it's state of the art. And it's, it's not just at the Academy level at the U18 and the U21 levels, et cetera. It's, they get the best players at the, at the U9 level, the U10 level, the U, the U14 level. So when they sign, when they get the best U14s four years later, they have the best U18s. Um, and their academy has been very good. Now they don't go on to to City's first team. That's just not their model. But they have the best local talent. So United are basically getting second dibs on all the best players in Manchester. The best ones go to City. So your academy's going to suffer because of that. And it's telling that what's the story that happened that came out four days ago? Is that United are bidding to to sign Darren Fletcher's twin sons from Manchester City, and the crux of the story is, yeah, Fletcher's just the latest of a bunch of players of a bunch of former United players who put their kids in City's academy because City's academy is much better. If United aren't even getting their technical directors' kids and former players' kids in their own academy. You got a problem, and and obviously your academy is not going to be producing top end talent. They've they've thrown money into the academy recently, but they really went top heavy and spent a lot of money on Hannibal Medjbury and and Garnacho, etc. You need your academy to be sustain to be self sustaining, or you know you've got to up to upgrade the facilities. You've got to upgrade every. Every part of that and start competing at the U9 level, at the U10 level to get the best players in. So, yeah, when you do sign a U18, a, a, a 16-year-old, he's coming into an environment where he may not be the best player. And part of their model is that they, the United still view their academy as a path, as a first-team development path, whereas Manchester City and Chelsea don't. They view their... they, they have a scouting net network all across the, the continent. They're looking at 14, 15, 16 year olds. Um, probably not 14 and 15 year olds anymore. Didn't they make rules? I think they made rules against that, but they're looking at 16 year olds. They're looking to sign players from abroad, bring them in, loan them out and just see, Hey, one or two of them sticks and we can get a good fee for them. And that's, that pays for 20 players that we signed. And if we get one superstar out of that, that that commands a very high fee, even better. It's a it's a revenue builder for them. And if they can, if they can sign, if they can sell, uh, four or five guys at four or five million a pop every summer, you've got twenty million going into your account that boosts up your your finances for the year. And in an FFP world, that's important. Not that City, you know, observed that, but Chelsea do or did um, even under Abramovich, but that was how they boost. That was how they were able to outspend United. United had a higher net spend than Chelsea. Chelsea just spent a lot more money because they had so much money coming in year after year from just selling 27 Academy players for fees ranging between one and 10 million a piece. Yeah. 
Um, we're going to do a little bit of trivia here. Uh, who do you think is the the player from Man United's academy that commanded the highest transfer fee? From the academy? Yes, an academy graduate. As, as an academy player or no. later? <laughs> no. So it's David Beckham. Yeah. Okay, who do you think is number two? Oh, Danny Welbeck. Yep, twenty million. Wow. After him, they sold Welbeck for twenty. Yeah. After oh, they sold him for like five. After Welbeck, <laughs> the next one is Giuseppe Rossi for ten, ten million. Then it's Andreas Pereira, nine point five million, <laughs> whatever. And then well, you're getting you're getting this from transfer market, aren't you? Yes. Uh, what 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 currency are we talking? Oh, actually, this is euros. Sorry. There it's, we go. I'm small. like, they, these numbers are high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pound is worth a lot less now, also. Um, and then, you know, Giuseppe Rossi, Andres Pereira, Adnan Yanizai, Johnny Evans. Some of those were also, I mean, like Yanizai, Johnny Evans. Those were like players who had a pathway into the first team and then just it didn't really work out or the new manager came in. It's sort of the same thing for Welbeck, although he had been an established player there for a few years by that point. But like, it's uh, different. For, like I mean, said, Evans, this is, Evans this and Welbeck not, are probably the same. Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Evans actually came in that like 08-09 season and got Yeah, got so Evans and Welbeck, Evans and Welbeck kind of established themselves as what they were, yeah, yeah. which is a good player to have, but not top of the line and and that's why Evans went to the to the bottom of of the league where he or the middle of the league where he did a really good job continuing his career and part of that is because he's really good on the ball and the the game evolved to suit him whereas uh at United that wasn't especially under Ferguson that wasn't as much of a a focus and his defensive lapses really kind of hurt, hurt him. Welbeck was like, Oh, this is an attacking player who works hard and he doesn't score a lot of goals. And Arsenal were like, we have a, we have a use for you, but if you can probably, stay healthy, like, that, was, that was sort of the heart of the, that was sort of like the prime of the Arsenal banter era too. Of like mm. late, wet, late Wenger. And then once he was, once he, fell out there it was towards the bottom of the wait Yanazai was like a lot of prospect but also apparently was sort of an asshole and people didn't like him and right it's like he's and he also and he, he went on loan and he failed there so like yeah he scored two the, goals against Sunderland it, when David Moyes needed a hero and that kind of right like he ended up with like four goals up. that season yeah um <laughs> it, it, he was it was a very boring season because we were watching antonio valencia and ashley young make like very square passes and adnan yanzai was like the only player who came in and ran at people and he really didn't do anything under van gaal he went on loan he didn't do anything at borussia dortmund it was like your resume is is out there Again, uh, Dan James was a more productive player than Adnan Yansai. Yeah, it's interesting you bring him up uh, because the the next question I have for you is how many of the top ten? Uh, so this is departures and the highest fee commanded uh, from Manchester United. How many of the top ten do you think are within the last ten years? Most of them, but that's pretty much because of inflation. Yeah, it's, so it's six out of ten, 
it's going to be Lukaku, Di Maria, yep. uh, Daily Blind, Daniel James. Um, Mkhitaryan, uh, uh, he's included, but it was a swap deal. That doesn't really count. So Morgan Schneiderlin is in the top 10. Oh, they uh, sold them for like 20 million, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, to Everton. Uh, pretty much, uh, so like Memphis Depay, Daily Blind, uh, Mkhitaryan, Daniel James. Didn't they sell Memphis for like nine? Mm-hmm. Uh, 16 to 16 million euros with i think this is in, inflated so like this is the, the price that it would be now uh but at the time it was probably a little bit less so then yeah lukaku du maria all those players are investments that united eventually either took a hit on or were able to kind of break even so like lukaku di maria they pretty much broke even on those transfers um so from I think, an ffp point of view they they made a profit on lukaku yeah, because I think they got that, they got their money back. It comes out it was yeah. seventy five, it's seventy five million over. He's not for five years. Yeah, um, and they got him. They they had him for two years, and they sold him for sixty seven. So they it's fifteen million a year. So they got thirty million of him, and so factor in. So that would be what seventy five minus thirty is forty five million, and they sold him for. 70, 75 yeah ish i think it was 67 um they, they basically they lukaku was a fine you know, like this and this is what happens when you buy younger players mm-hmm. i think and like you want to and even i mean Di maria club, they've never been yeah, a selling club Di maria was only 26 so like it was easy to flip him after a year but Di maria had united didn't have a lot of standing around because he wanted to leave so badly mm-hmm. and, and he didn't really want to go to united in the first right place. he didn't want to go to united he really wanted to leave and united basically ran a smear campaign against him where they're like he's terrible and they dropped him from the team even though he had There's... more assists in half a season than anybody had until like bruno came around mm-hmm. and everybody but if you talk to people about Di maria they'll be like oh he was terrible what a boss didn't do anything that season it's like he had 11 There's assists this... and Half a season. There's a song about him that calls him, uh, uh, you know, excuse my French, but a twat from Argentina, like a money grubbing whore. I mean, yeah, there there was definitely work put in to to vilify Di Maria, and I think some United of that came are from... lucky they got as much money for Di Maria as they did yes. because they they literally they screamed from the heavens, "This guy is terrible." Yeah, and, and Louis Van Gaal was uh, during the season before it was over was like. It's like, why are you not playing Di Maria anymore? Oh, because he's you know, he's not good enough. And he's not doing what I tell him to do. And and that was, and that's that's really the reason why they got nothing for Memphis Depay. Is Memphis Depay came in, lofty after expectations, like lofty, and didn't get off to a good start. He was not protected by by Van Gaal. There were stories about him and his attitude as well. Wasn't he the one that like brought the that bought the really expensive car right away? And the players were like, yo, you didn't earn this. So those stories get out. So already you're telling clubs, mm, attitude-wise, this guy's not really he's not really protected by by Van Gaal. Mourinho comes in and like ne- he didn't really badmouth him, but he very much just never even gave him a shot. He, he he basically, like, I'm not even, yeah, just like ignored him and like right. I'm not even gonna look side. at you. So, like, they basically scream from the heavens, like, this dude's a bust, he's terrible, and he's got a bad attitude. Please, send us money for him. And it's like, <laughs> you wonder why um, you put up a billboard saying, we're having a sale, 
we've got this player who's terrible with a bad attitude come to our store and buy him and then you open up you you go to open up the store in the morning and you're like why is there nobody waiting outside so so that part of the problem is, is very much on the club do you yeah, think also sure. part of the problem is that like part of the problem is the fans also like the fans are very loud and you i know social media is this sphere that shouldn't that like you know people shouldn't pay attention to and if you just don't log on you won't see it but it it gets seen clubs see these things clubs notice these things especially when they're thinking about signing players and they're like how is this going to go over with with uh our fans because we've run the numbers it's like a 50 50 shot a signing is going to a signing is going to work out so most of the reason that clubs do it things that'll put the club in the in the uh in the let's go ahead and do this thing is the PR aspect is our fans mm-hmm. are going to love this and they're going to, they're going to buy tickets. They're going to buy shirts. So when you look and, and you have a whole fan base being like this player's absolute crap, they'd be like, well, why should we buy him? Or why should when we you, sell him? When, well, I, I can tell you why you should sell him. But like, when you look at a, when you look at a fan base, when you, when you have a player and, and the fan base is like, I don't get why this guy's not playing. Like he's, he's so good. And everybody's just like begging for him to, to play more that a, a team might notice. And they might be like, when they're doing their due diligence, that might be in a factor of like, Oh, th- this team's, this team's fans love him. They think he's got sky high potential. And like that checks out with the scouting that we've done. We should go for him. Right. Uh, another thing kind of looking at this list though, is it, it feels like as the quality of Manchester United has dipped, so has their ability to, earn something from the players that leave. So one of that would be, you know, obviously if you're good and you have excess players who are, you know, talented and in demand, other clubs will, you know, be inquiring about which of those players you'd be willing to part from for whatever reason. Ruud van Nistelrooy, David Beckham, Cristiano Ronaldo, players who were either forcing their way out or were kind of at odds at a, at a point in their careers where they were still, you know, either rising superstars or established really good players. Juan Saber Varane also kind of falls into that category of, you know, maybe this didn't really work out, but he's still a really talented player who's got, you know, three or four years before he's in his thirties. United are not really in a position over the past 10 years where they can afford to get rid of a player who contributes at that sort of level. Um, Whether, and certainly I think the perception within the club is that they can't afford to get rid of those sort of players. And I think, you know, a soft spot for me is obviously Wayne Rooney. But when it came to that summer of the first summer of David Moyes, I think the club was very concerned about the optics of what it would look like if they sold Wayne Rooney to Chelsea that summer when it came to considering whether to offer him a contract or not. I'm going to challenge you on this, which you've already kind of answered the question for. But when were United ever good at this? And you already can't answer the question. You listed four players from a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like mid David Gill era. So like 2006. All right, but let's go. Like Juan Sebastian Veron was, you were able to move him on. Mm-hmm. It's like he 20, the, 25 million or something, which at that at that time is still pretty significant. A lot. They spent yeah. a lot of money on him. He came, he did not fit in at United. He played for two years and then they were able to get rid of him. And they were able to recoup a lot of their money. Okay. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo is 23 years old and the best player in the world. Got a record fee for him. Because you sold him at the time where 
of his career where that was going to happen. You sold him because he wanted to leave. David Beckham, Rude Van Estor, how old were they when they left? Beckham was 28? Uh, Yes, Beckham was 28 and Van Nistelrooy was 30. You're not getting that kind of money anymore. The game's changed. Mm-hmm. The game has changed. It used to, when they were sold, that was a buy players, um, was a back in the day of a 28 year old player is considered in their prime and people spent a lot of money on 28 year old players. And then United went a few years later and they, they spent a lot of money on Dimitar Berbatov and the whole news story, it was, they spent about 30 million, which is like a record at the time. And the whole news story was, this is very unlike United because Berbatov is already, is already 28 and he's not going to have any resale value because at that time, 28 was resale value. You saw United would sign a player at 23 They'd sell them at 28 and sign a player at 23, 24, sell them at 27, 28. So that's in these, in this day and age, there's just that one summer where Barcelona and Real Madrid randomly, for some reason, decided to, to, to buy Griezmann and Hazard for massive sums of money at the age of 28. Otherwise it doesn't exist. People don't spend money on those kind of players anymore. So that's not a United thing. That is a everybody thing. Like, yeah, what, Look at look at the players that City sell for a lot of money. Um, Ferran Torres, you know, Leroy Sané. No, those were young guys. Now, every so often you get a, a nice gift of Chelsea get a dumb owner and they splash money for Raheem Sterling at 28. Okay, you're lucky there. Uh, like Liverpool don't sell 28-year-olds for big money. Chelsea, except when Saudi Arabia is coming in, don't aren't able to sell their, their big, their, their deadwood and, and their, their older players on. Um, if you look at the players that they're selling in their prime sell years, because now the market has shifted, has shifted to you spend big money earlier in a player's career so that they have their best years wearing your shirt rather than spend a lot of money on a 28 year old who has this nice resume in somebody else's shirt, and then they're not going to do the same thing in your shirt. And who are the players that they've sold in that time and how have they done? Lukaku, Di Maria, Daniel James. They spent, they, they, they sold doubled. Him for more money. <laughs> they doubled a problem. More money than they paid for him. They might not have sold him for a lot of money, but more than they paid for him. Like the players that they sell in that age range, they're still commanding some money for. I don't have anything to add to that. I think you nailed it. And I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a, I think you nailed it where it's like, they just don't have players. And look, first of all, look no, at the, it's they like, don't have players in that age range. Yeah. Is the well, problem. When Pogba was under consideration to sell, which was maybe, they didn't get any offers. Yeah. Because people weren't willing to pay 50 million pounds for Paul Pogba, who is, you know, approaching 30 now. And unfortunately did have another season marred by injury, which I think, you know, kind of underlined the points of people's concerns about Pogba. Like, you know, fans, uh, get, going back to the kind of negative perception of players a little bit. I mean, there was this nonsense about Pogba being lazy and resting and, you know, trying to keep himself fit so that he could get a transfer away. And that that just wasn't the case. This was a player who had serious injury problems, like uh, reoccurring injury problems. And kind of destroyed his profitability, profitability a little bit, as well as, you know, potentially the reputation that was 
hounded around him. Right. And he didn't help. He didn't help his cause because he wanted a race. Mm-hmm. And statistically speaking, like you can, his agent can crunch the numbers and make an argument that says he's very valuable to the team. There's players on the team that are far less valuable, that are making more money. He deserves to be paid more than them. He's right. United put an offer on the table that said, um, that basically offered him a 10,000 pound raise because they said, yeah, you're right. But here's the other number of here's the amount of games that you missed because you're injured. You're unreliable. Um, we do think you're, you, you, you are worth this much, but we can't commit to all this money because we don't know when you're going to be able to play. You miss a lot of games due to injury. And that's when, you know, we saw it on the Pogmentary of when Mino Rayola calls him and says they only offered a 10,000 pound raise raise. And he, he freaked out being like, that's it. Like, and that's what he called nothing. He didn't, he didn't say that they offered me nothing, but which is of course how the quote got twisted and reported. He said the raise was nothing, And he's right about that. And he turned it down and he went on the open market only to find that every team was like, yeah, you're really injury prone. We don't want to commit a lot of money like that to you. Juventus offered him something. He takes it. And guess what? He proved everybody's doubts correct. Yeah. Which, and yeah. it's unfortunate. I love the Yes, we need I to say. I wish I could watch yeah. him play football. And it, it stunk that he spent the entire season injured. Like, it, it really sucks. There are few people are as genuinely happy to be out on a pitch kicking a football around like Paul Pogba is. All he wants to do is play. He missed the World Cup, which he was dying to be at. It, it sucks for him, but everybody else, everybody was looking at him being like, look, we can't rely on you because you can't stay fit. And he, he bet on himself and he took the wrong, and he, he made the wrong move. Yeah. So uh, kind of shifting this back to Man United to kind of close this out. There was this Fred rumor today, which kind of, you know, re- resurfaced uh, the Fulham story that we heard at the end of the season where, they were interested in signing him. United want around 20 million pounds. Fulham think that's maybe a little bit too much. That's where the discussion is at right now, reportedly. We talked about this a little bit in our text chat with Nathan about Fred is obviously a useful player. I think, you know, we can all admit on this podcast that we like Fred maybe more than the average Man United fan, but most Man United fans, I think, would agree that Fred is a useful player at least. At 30 years old, do you risk Fred leaving for free next season while keeping him around for one more year, you know, keeping a useful player around for one more year and losing him for free? Or would you rather sell him for 20 million pounds now? There's so many. Fred is like the most difficult yeah. <laughs> question here. Because here's... Part of the issue is that people lump him in together with McTominay. The name McFred is like the worst thing that ever happened to Fred. <laughs> and that people lump them together and are basically like, look, if they if they offer if someone offers 20 million for one and someone offers 25 million for the other, it doesn't matter which one you take the 25, you take the 25. You take whichever one's higher and you you roll with the other one. They are not equal. Like Fred is much better than McTominay. He is United have, United currently have four midfielders, and Fred is by far and away number three. He is there is a role for Fred to play, whereas McTominay plays. Um, oh, it's the cup. Like I'll put you in as the DM, 
even though that's not your position. And he doesn't start matches anymore. And when he does, it's kind of like, yeah, you you kind of play like as an advanced number eight, but you don't really do much. And it's like, yeah, you you come in because the coach likes your energy, but and he does what, what else do you do? Like, yeah, he does what you tell him to Fred, do. Kind Fred, of. Fred could be a disaster on the ball. There's no question about that. He is an a he is an elite ball winner, and he is an elite ha- hassler out of possession, um, especially when it comes to pressing, and especially when it comes to counter press. McTominay's none of that. He's not good on the ball. He is not good defensively. He's not good positionally. He can hit a ball really smooth. And, and he's big. Like, again, I've always said McTominay's biggest asset is that he looks the part. He looks like a Premier League midfielder, and that really helps him out. He does exactly what coaches tell him to do, so they trust him. He just doesn't have the ability. So the number one rule is when if a team comes in and offers you more money than you think a player is worth, you should take the money every time. If a team came and offered $20 million for Fred, you should take that money every time and run. But that really puts you at a detriment because you now you have three midfielders, one of whom is Christian Eriksen, who you need to upgrade on anyway, and you can't keep running back season after season of four central midfielders. They've had four central midfielders for five years now, since 2019, since 2019-20. Four years of just four central midfielders, and it's been an issue every single year because every single year someone has gotten hurt. More more than one player have gotten hurt, and they've they've been shorthanded. And do you think so? So right now, if they if they rolled with the same four midfielders, they still need to sign someone, and they probably also need to sign a second one to back up Casemiro. If they sold Fred, do you think that they are signing two more? midfielders when they would need probably three no like the, it would very much make the team weaker that i don't think 20 million would go so far as to fix but when someone offers you more than a player is worth you should take that money every time yeah. do you risk losing him for free i think fred fred said at the end of the season he needed to have a conversation with ten hog because he wants to play and I do think it's hard on him because there were there were times this season where he should have started games. There were times this season where he was by far outperforming Christian Erickson and Christian Erickson kept starting and Fred kept coming off the bench until Erickson got hurt. Um, there were times late in the season where it was like Erickson's not performing well. We should probably start Fred. There were there there a, a manager who rotates his squad would look at the calendar and say. I can I can name you 20 games right here where you're going to start. Um and at least and 10 leading games. Without a question if everybody's fit, you would start this game. And I don't think Ten Hag will do that. Clearly. I do think if he's not going to play, he would want to force he would force his way out. Like I think if he stayed, you can renew him year on year. As they should. What the club used to do with players over the age of 30 is one-year extensions. That's what Manchester City does. That's what United did under David Gill and Sir Alex Ferguson up until Fellaini's contract ran out. If Fred wants to leave, he's going to leave this year. If he's willing to stay this year, I think you can, you'll be able to extend him. And Fred being your fourth midfielder puts you in a pretty good spot.
Right. If you know the caveat, you need him to be. You need him to you, be at, you at sign, most number four. Yeah, I mean, assuming that United do sign a midfielder who is better than Fred, and and you have and you have to remember that, and you do have to remember that Fred is like the most beloved guy in the squad. So, yeah. in terms of dressing room presence, the players love having him around. Would you rather have Fred or a geriatric Tony Cross? I would rather have Fred. In this team, yeah. In this team, where Tenog's like, I need you guys to be running all. Do you see? Do you see how much Casemiro had to run this summer, this season? You gotta have yeah. guys with legs. Yeah. Well, really, that that's like a, a baseline requirement for football. Legs, functioning legs. Yeah. All right. I think that is all we got today. Um, we may do a mailbag next week. And I'm planning on, if we do do that, I'm going to set up a page on the Busby Babe, which we are not related to in any professional sense, um, where you can submit questions there or you can tweet them at us um, and we'll post something on Twitter as well. Uh, We may also do a poll and discuss the results of that. We're trying to figure out uh, ways to fill time with content here uh, over the summer. So um, be on the lookout for that. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time.